Shabbos. Shabbos, or Shabbat, or the Sabbath. Depending which part of Brooklyn you came from, there's different ways of pronouncing it. And it all comes out to the same thing, which is the seventh day. We're basing ourselves on a biblical passage in the book of Genesis, which says... Um, and uh, right? And God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, he stopped creating, God sanctified the seventh day and made it holy. That's the Sabbath. Shabbos, rested. Okay. So we're going to look at this from a couple of different perspectives to try to understand and maybe try to tap into some meaning for Shabbos, right? For the Sabbath, for Shabbat. So understanding. Um, one problem that comes up with Shabbos is that people say, I tell you, I would keep Shabbos if it wasn't for all the laws. Right? If, if I was like allowed to do whatever I wanted, then it wouldn't be a problem. That's true. And there is a holiday like that. It's called Tuesday. And on Tuesday you can do whatever you want. It has absolutely no restrictions and it's terrific. So how come there's a certain aspect of Shabbos that I'm not going to feel on Tuesday, which hopefully I'll feel on Shabbos? What is all the restrictions? What's all the laws? Now, we spoke about the concept when we had the class on mitzvahs. And that is that the mitzvahs are there for us to be able to take advantage of things that already exist. So comes this Shabbos, and Shabbos is very interesting because as it says in Genesis, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That means that every seventh day there's a wave of holiness that covers the earth, that gives you an opportunity to take advantage of. It's there for you. But we don't always feel it. Now, the question I have is, how many people right now here are concerto? There's a concerto. I think it's a flute concerto. It's playing right now. Who can hear it? Can't hear it. Okay, there's two possibilities. Either you can't hear it or the big guy's lost it. So let's see which possibility it is. How many people agree with me that right now there's a concerto playing in the room? In the room. In the room. You don't hear it? You hear it. You hear it and it's here. Okay. Medic! <laughs> oh, good. Um, <laughs> what did you have for lunch? In any event, <laughs> three martini lunch. In any event, uh, there is, it's playing, and everybody knows it. The reason that you may not be able to hear it is because it's in the form of sound waves. Right? There are right now radio waves that are moving right through this uh, room, and it's carrying the most beautiful music, classical music, or rap, which is not really music, but, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> static. There's all kinds of different beautiful sounds passing through the air right now. So I ask you, though, except for you who heard it, if you know that it's right here in the room, then how come you can't hear it? You haven't got a receiver. I can't give that man a star. You got it, right. You need a receiver. You need a radio. You need some way to be able to pick it up. Okay. I go out, handy-dandy radio shack, I get myself a receiver, and I... Turn it on. I should be able to hear it, but instead I'm hearing static. I'm even tuned to the right frequency, but I'm just hearing static. How come? Oh, I got an antenna. There's something interfering. This, there's, 
There's uh, what's what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, interference, background interference, background noise. Yeah, static, technical term. Yeah, you need you need a filter. Every radio needs a filter. You have to adjust the filter, and this way take out all the background noise, and now you can hear the music. And it's amazing. It's amazing. The music is there. That's the same thing with Shabbos. God says, listen, I am going to send a wave of holiness throughout the world. You don't hear it? Well, first stop all the background noise. There's too much noise. You don't believe me? Person walks into the house, first thing I do is turn on the television, right? And watching, you know, 15 programs at the same time with a little box, TV, turn it off. The phone. People are listening to the, you know, the phone rings and people go, people go crazy. The phone! The phone! It's the phone! Get the phone on the phone! I have six daughters. Forget it. All the extensions. Hello, hello, hello. Phone on the phone. Get the phone. Up the stairs, down the stairs. There's going to be phone on the It's a religious awe that people have to the phone. I, and this is true because when the phone rings, I always hope it's not for me because it's just somebody who wants money. So uh, I, 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 uh, I don't ever feel a need to break off a human conversation to answer the phone. I don't feel a need. So I'll be in the middle of talking to somebody and the phone rings. And the person will turn and look. With, with reverence and say, it's the phone. <laughs> and I say, yes, it is. <laughs> it's a little room in the front of the plane, but that's not important now. Right? It's the phone. Yeah, okay. So it's the phone. I'm, I, I, you're here. You're a real person. Whoever it is will call back. So I went over to somebody's house once, and they, they had seen me do this. So he decides also, I'm, I, you know, I'm in control too. So the phone's ringing, and the guy's talking to me. Every now and then you can see his eyes dark, you know. And finally, he just starts to break out in a cold sweat. His legs start shaking, you know what I mean? And we continue the conversation. I don't know if it was the sixth ring, the seventh ring. He suddenly, I don't even see him get up. He just flies across the room, you know what I mean? Bolts for the telephone. He up, hello? There was no one there. So he took out his phone book, called everybody he knew in the entire world. Hi, Mom, was that you? No, okay. Hi, Steve, then you know, okay. Hi, you know what I'm saying? It, it, was, it was devastating. Maybe he missed a phone call, right? That was bad enough when there were phones. Now, of course, there are cellular phones. You have it in your car. You have it carry around with you. You have beepers. You have messages. And a person doesn't know how to enjoy, how to stop the noise for two minutes. You can go to a play. People spending close to 100 bucks sometimes to go out to one of these shows. You know, they're sitting there and you hear all the beepers and all the cellular phones. Everything's like beeping, beep, 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 beep. People run out the aisle. Hi, what is it wrong? Oh, yeah, oh, it's on the shelf in the back. Okay, no problem. Yeah. People don't know how to stop for two minutes. Stop. Stop the noise. You got to answer the phone. You got you to gotta, you gotta watch the TV. Okay, forget it. Everybody's got to walk in. Right? Walk in the street. Used to be walking the street, you'd listen to the sounds of nature, the bird. Nah, forget it. Got a little earphones, the thing turned up, and you can have a conversation with somebody, and he's he doesn't know hear a word you're saying because listening to music, and he just nods. Forget it. Turn off the Walkman. Turn off the radio. Turn off the television. Turn off the uh, CD. Turn off the. Forget it. All right. Well, I got to do something. I'll cook a fancy meal. No, 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 no cooking, no grinding, no chopping. No, forget it. All right, well, at least I'll go to the mall. Don't go to the mall. See if you could spend time with your own family or friends or loved ones. See if you know how to talk. See if you know how to relate. You forgot what it is to be a person. Get rid of all the noise. Stop for one day. See if you turn off all the noise. You ever wonder why you don't hear spirituality? My gosh, how could you hear it above this din? 
the noise that goes on 24 hours a day. I was I, I once went to a beautiful park, it was a gorgeous park, whatever it was. And we get to start looking around. All of a sudden, someone brought like one of those big boom boxes. Starts blasting some music. Forget it, it's gone. You can't you can't get the true feeling. The birds were left. They couldn't take the noise. You know, they're not gonna stay there and compete. Forget it. You've lost it. Stop the noise. That's the mitzvah's low say. The negative commandments say, turn off the noise. Click. Okay. So now I met somebody. I just spoke to somebody today. This happened just today. And said, I just don't feel the spirituality of Shabbos. I don't know what it is. I just don't feel it. So I figure, okay, it could be any number of reasons. We start talking. What is it? What is it? You know. And finally the person describes their Shabbos for me. They stay in the dorm. They sleep most of the day. You know. And then they, um, they have a little something to eat and they go back to sleep. I said, well, it's hard to focus on spirituality when you're in a coma. You know what I'm saying? So that... you. you People have this concept that Judaism, you know, has this day of day off called Shabbos. It's my day off. I'll sleep. I'll sleep the whole day. That's great. What? What? Who could be better? What more spiritual experience could it be than just sleeping? Now, come on, wake up, experience it. I don't know if it was in this class. I don't know what it was anymore. I'm, I'm losing my hold on reality, which was tenuous when I started. But um, uh, somebody asked me. Um, how could you say Shabbos is a day of rest? He says, I see these people have company over and, um, you know, they have a bunch of people and, and they spend the whole time cooking and serving. I said, because Shabbos doesn't mean it's a day off where I sleep. It means there's a spiritual power. The mitzvahs losase, the negative commandments of Shabbos are not there so that I sleep, so that, oh, see that? He can't go shopping, he can't go to work, he'll sleep. No, that's ridiculous. You can do that on a Tuesday. I remember talking to somebody once who was religious. I, I wanted to try to show them that they didn't really understand what Judaism was all about. So uh, so she says to me, I love Shabbos. The only day I get to sleep. I said, this will come as a shock to you, but you know, Gentiles take the phone off the hook and go to sleep. And she was like devastated. That was her only connection to God. You know what I mean? It was like, I sleep one day. I didn't know that Gentiles take naps. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm finished. You know what I mean? That was my whole hold to Judaism, you know? The purpose is not to be in a coma. The purpose is not to sleep it away. So you stop all the background noise so that you can now get the music. That's the positive commandments of Shabbos. When the family is together, when there's intellectual discussion, when there's thought. I, 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 hate, to tell you, I hate to say this. I don't even know what I should say it. But there are certain segments of the, of the Jewish community, observant community, where they just, they missed the whole message. I once heard a, a kid who uh, came from an Orthodox home and he wanted to try to describe to somebody the ideal Shabbos. Why a person should bring Shabbos into his life. He says, Shabbos is not so bad. You know right away that you're off to a really in-depth spiritual experience when it opens with that. You know what I mean? Shabbos is not so bad. You know, you take a shower. Um... And you go to synagogue, which is not so bad. You talk to your friends. And you come home and you, you know, you have supper with your family. That's not bad because dad falls asleep at the table reading the paper, you know. And then if you, if it's in the winter, you can get like 14 hours of sleep. Oh, it's great. 
you go right to bed like around six o'clock, you know, and you just sleep. sleep. You're not even used to it. You get up and you have to force yourself to go back to sleep, you know, till you're like dead, you know, and the drool comes out on the pillow, you know, uh, you know. And you get up in the morning, you go to temple, that's not so bad, you know, because you talk to your friends. You come home, you have lunch, you play a game. Before you know it, it's over. Wow, that's so spiritual. That's so powerful. What, what an experience. I don't know why everyone's not lining up to keep Shabbos, you know. I said, is that it? That That's the best that Shabbos has to offer? I had a person once from an observant home came over to my house and said, you know, I don't get it. He says, I couldn't understand it. He says, your kids love Shabbos. I said, yeah, I know. He says, kids should hate Shabbos. It's so restrictive. You can't watch TV. You can't do this. You can't turn on lights. You can't. I said, that's because if you just look at it as the negatives, you don't understand that there are positives. If all you did was block out the interference, if you didn't turn on the music, then you missed the whole thing. Shabbos has a power. It has a spiritual power that you can tap into. You have to learn how. You have to learn how to, how to get a hold of it. But you're right. That's the whole purpose of Shabbos. Shabbos is the, is the spirituality that exists. You have to bl- block out the interference and you have to focus in. Now the truth is there's two other things you have to do. One of the things you have to do, and you, not everybody always realizes this, the music comes on. You start listening to the music and you're amazed at the, the fact that you have music and the beauty of it. And suddenly you say to yourself, I don't think I like classical music. <laughs> you know I mean? I'm suddenly hearing it. I don't get it. What's this all about? What's the fugue? I don't get a fugue. What is this here? I don't know. Parts, it doesn't make any sense to me. And you talk to people who, are, who have studied music and they're like, oh, listen now, the trombone comes in, listen to the cello, you know. I don't know, it sounds like music. No, 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 you have to listen to the parts. You don't know, how, you know anything about music. <laughs> okay, well, that's a problem. You have to learn, appreciate, you have to, learn to appreciate music. Right? And then there's a fourth thing you have to do. I, I, I'm always embarrassed to mention it. But it's true sometimes. You can turn on the radio, you can have beautiful music, even music that you like and you understand, you appreciate, but you're not listening. You turn it on and you go do a hundred other things. You have to learn how to focus. Right? You have to take out the time to listen. And when you do, then you tap into it. That takes a while to learn, like anything that's good. Any ballet. <coughs> My daughter's all taking ballet. I'm paying money for this. You understand? And uh, I come back and say, what'd you do? They line up and say, watch this, Dad. Here's where your money went. See, look at this. I could do this. I could do this. I could do like this. I said, I paid money for this? I don't get it. You know? Wait, wait, there's more. Look. You know? And I, I said, I'm not impressed. I don't, you don't look like Barishnikov to me. You know what I mean? Well, what am I missing? You know? This is where you have to learn all the moves. Right? And after you learn all the moves and you get them down good, then you have to be able to weave them together into a beautiful presentation. Then you have a ballet. But it takes time. You have to learn the moves. People go away for Shabbos. They don't know what they're doing. I, I, I heard this story from four different people. They said they went to a house for Shabbos. They don't, they don't normally keep Shabbos. They went to the bathroom and they thought, my gosh, am I allowed to flush? I don't know what the law is. What if I offend my host? Um, by the way, in case anyone comes to my house, you're certainly welcome, but the law is yes, flush. But uh, you, you offend your host much more if you don't. But, um, but the point is that people don't know. So now you walk into Shabbos and you're sitting here trying to focus on do I do this, do I do that? You're no know, different than a kid who's trying to practice the move in ballet to be able to get it down. But you have to get the moves and you have to learn a little appreciation and then you tap into the power. That's the power of Shabbos. I want to... Take it another step. You know, you're not allowed to work on Shabbos. 
right? Ain't gonna work on Saturday. What, what is it that you can't do? Well, if, if it means don't work, the word would be? Zoom, golly, 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 zoom, golly. Right. Avodah is work. But that's not what's forbidden on Shabbos. What's forbidden is Malacha. Malacha. Now this is really another class and I don't want to get into it, but when God says not to do any Malacha on Shabbos in the Torah, obviously he had something in mind. Right? So Moses comes down from the mountain with the book. We take a look inside. And he says, um, Gee, um, what's this story on Saturday? Can't do any work. He says, you can't do any malacha. Malacha means almost like a craft, a creative work. Oh, okay, Moses, what does that mean? Whatever you think. Yeah, but Moses, if you get this wrong, it's got the death penalty attached to it. That's right. Good guessing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's sick. If God comes down and says, Malacha, not to do Malacha, it's so important. Not that you can really get the death penalty because it's almost impossible to give out. But the, the fact that God would attach it to it to impress on you how important that is, you got to tell me what that means. That doesn't say it any place. Spend a little less time describing the priest undergarments and tell me what Malacha means. Had to be some explanation. So it's very interesting in that we find it's attached to the building of the tabernacle. When the Jews were in the desert, they built the tabernacle. They took big wooden beams, they covered them in gold, they had poles to hold them together, and they built this little kind of building here. There was a curtain that curtained off this part, and that's where the ark went. The ark that had the Ten Commandments. It was behind this curtain. In the front there was a curtain. And then there were coverings that went on top of it. Right? Different coverings from an animal of a tachash. There was uh, from goat skins. There was uh, an embroidery. And it all covered it on top. Right? There was a courtyard where there were pillars. The outside covered in silver cloth that went held it together another entranceway over here there was the altar here there was a sink where they used to wash right okay inside here there was the menorah there was the table with the showbreads on it and there was another little altar here for incense now if you Ever try reading through the Bible? And I suggest it's a good thing to do anyway. So you see, you start over in Genesis, it gets a little slow with the genealogies, but you move after that. There's a lot of good stories there. There's um, sex, violence, destruction. Uh, people appreciate those sort of things. Um, and you reach the whole end of the story, you come down to Egypt, Egypt slavery, Pharaoh, the whole dramatic confrontation, the ten plagues. You know, uh, they finally come out, they come to Mount Sinai, a uh, whole thing that takes place, and all of a sudden, it starts to slow down as it goes through this whole building of the tabernacle. And it tells you how you're supposed to, how big the beams are supposed to be, how you're going to sew the curtains, what materials you're going to use, how you're going to, on and on and on. 
Now, forgetting anything else, the oral law explains how we see that that's what's forbidden to do on Shabbos, anything that came from there. Why would that be? Why would that be? So, what's interesting about the tabernacle, I'll give you two different explanations. One point is, that, and the Malbim explains this, it's a macrocosm of a human being. The beams on the side represent the ribs. The Aron HaKodesh, the Ark, represents the mind. And it's got the tablets and the broken tablets corresponding to the conscious and subconscious mind. You've got the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the breathing, the nasal passages. You've got the, um, the waste disposal systems. All the different things are manifested in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. It's a macrocosm of a human being. It's one approach. There's another approach. And that is, it's a microcosm of a universe. And everything that exists in the universe, and with all of the concentric circles, exists inside of the, exists inside of the tabernacle. Now that's a, that's a whole discussion itself. But let's just say the following. And that is, it comes out the following. A human being is manifested by the Mishkan. The entire universe is manifested by the Mishkan. A human being encompasses the entire universe. A very important idea to understand. That we look at ourselves as a totality of the universe. Um, you have this concept of people were created in the image of God image of God Uh, God doesn't look like you doesn't look like me much taller but the point is that what does it mean to be in the image of God it means that there are absolute truths about the infinite that are reflected in ourselves a right side and a left side representing um, uh, mercy and judgment you know different kind of thing every part of the body everything there there's a reason that you have fingers the Talmud discusses why you have five fingers on a hand why they're shaped this way there's a reason why um, you uh, uh, you have one mouth with two lips with your teeth two eyes on and on everything is symbolic of, of aspects of the infinite interesting that we uh, we say the following in uh, the Hallel prayer. It says, they build gods out of gold and out of silver. Right? They have eyes and they don't see. They have ears and they don't hear. They have a nose and they can't smell. They have a mouth and they can't speak. They have arms and they can't move. You know, on and on. And I thought, hey, if if they could talk, then it would be okay to worship them. <laughs> That's the only problem. They're missing an, an, a, an automation chip. You know what I'm saying? So now you get a, I am the guy of Oh, okay, no problem. Yeah, look, he moves, he talks, he speaks, he's here, you know. Of course not. The point is, why does it have a mouth and eyes and a nose and arms and legs and a mouth and none of them work? You know why idols have all those things? Because we made them to look like us. We, you see, we make gods, everybody does this, that looks like us, that resembles us. 
the Greek gods, the Norse gods, the Roman gods, they all look like regular people. They all talk like regular people. They all have the same human desires, passions, and evils. God says, I made you to mirror the infinite. Why would you make something to to mirror you? If you're going to do something already, make something to mirror the universe, because you are the universe. You are the whole world. It's all, it's all inside of you. I don't have to tell you the complexity of the human body. I don't have to tell you what goes into making a human eye. It's not the Schroeder territory, you know what I'm saying? But just how the body works, what the, 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 the filtering power of the liver, and on and on. I don't have to go into all those details. Anyone who studied biology has some appreciation of the, the power of the, the human body. But within all of that is encapsulated the secrets of the universe. Okay, we don't appreciate it in itself. We'll build a macrocosm of ourselves, which is a microcosm of the world. Now look how it all comes together on Shabbos. When we don't do the work necessary to build the tabernacle on Shabbos, then that means that we stop creating the world. God worked for six days and he rested on the seventh because he must have been tired. Oh, it's not easy speaking ten phrases. Phew! He must have been knocked out. Wow, look at this whole universe. I can't believe it. You, you have no idea what trouble those dark holes gave me. You know, I, I, I've been working here for six days for crying out loud. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> of course not. God set it up that six, because what is six? Six is this universe. Right? Six is up and down and the four directions. Right? Cube. Well, well, better than that. That's this world. Six sides. Now what, what do you have once you have a box like that? You've got to fill it up with something. That's seven. Seven is what you fill the universe with. That's holiness. And so every, so to speak, six days, we make one side, two sides, three sides, four sides, five sides, six sides, and the seventh day it fills up again with holiness. That's the power of seven. By the way, that probably explains, you know, the symbol you probably see all over the place. That Jewish star. Because it's got six sides. Six points. This world is six. The, what fills this world is the seventh. The middle. That's the seventh. And that's what Shabbos is. Shabbos is what fills the creation of this world. So you know what? We really can't create a universe. Not at this point. Could be with a little study. But at this point we can't create a universe. The best we can do is create a small universe called the tabernacle. And when we stop building that on Shabbos, then we do the same thing that God did. God stopped building the world on the seventh day. We stopped building the tabernacle. But the same, it's for the same reason, the same purpose. The purpose is for us to stop and take advantage of the holiness. You know, you, you can get so busy building that you forget what you're building for. You ever notice people like that? They're so busy, you know, living, you know, so bu- busy, you know, living life they haven't got time to enjoy it. Happens all the time. People sink all their efforts and all their power and all their energies into 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 making money that they'll never they'll never live long enough to enjoy. You know. People uh, spend an enormous amount of time fixing up things. 
My brother loves to redecorate his house. You know, he redecorates his house, and once the whole house is perfect, he looks to see what he can redo. You know, this is just, it gets no enjoyment. You ever know people like this? Forget it. Take this room down, move this over here, do this over here. I gotta do something. It'll just never be perfect. You know, so where's the time to enjoy it? Where's, where's the time to live life? Where's the time to take out time and smell the coffee? Ah. <laughs> But, but that's the problem. You ever hear the famous question? This is one of the famous questions that plagues people. This is the kind of question that, that, that drives people crazy, that they spend hours trying to figure out. Philosophers and, and, and physicists. Why do we park on driveways and drive on parkways? This is a big question that's challenging our youth. That and how come 7-Eleven has locks on the doors? In any event... You know, you know the famous question, right? Why do you park on driveways and drive on parkways? So the real answer is, because driveways were never these little cement strips in front of your house. There used to be big houses, farms. You used to have to take a driveway to get there. You drove along. But why do you drive on park? Uh, so that, that's why at the end of it you would park. But that was your whole driveway to get there. And then as the houses kept getting subdivided, the driveway got smaller and smaller until finally it was only big enough for a parking spot. That's never what a driveway was meant to be. It was a driveway. A parkway was originally designed by Robert Moses in the 1920s for the New York area. And the concept was that riding, driving would be a pleasurable experience and that you could actually feel like you were driving through a park and enjoy the scenery and enjoy the time. So he closed with the commercial traffic. He spent an enormous amount of money on... Um, on uh, landscaping. And really the first one that he ever worked on in Long Island was the Southern State Parkway. And it goes every few miles and stops at a state park. It's a state parkway system to go to parks. It's a parkway to enjoy the park, to, to part of park and recreation. But what happened? People don't use their cars anymore to, uh, to enjoy the scenery. you gotta, you got to go too fast. Zoom! I haven't got time to enjoy it. You know, did I? I, I um, Dave Barry wrote this travel guide. You see it? So he describes different national monuments. He says this is a beautiful thing, etc., etc., etc. You know, you might want to drive by it at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> that means you can say we were there. You know, but actually, you know, he says like those little monuments they put on the side of the road. He says whoever stops to read those. He says, if you ever read it, you'd say it was on this spot that, you know, the governor, you know, the state erected this beautiful thing in memory of all the people who are going to stop to read this and get hit by cars. <laughs> you know what I mean? But reading, Zoom, we've got time. Hudson, the Henry Hudson Parkway. They took one of the most expensive, fanciest um, pieces of real estate in the world, right? the west side of Manhattan, and they built this beautiful road on the, on the side of the Hudson River be able to look at it, majestic views. Who's got time? Zoom. And on the other side is the Palisade Parkway. Take it to go up to the Catskills. Palisade Parkway. Every now and then, there's this turnoff for a lookout. Ah, I've got time to get up to the hotel. They serve me lunch. You know, Zoom. Who's got time to look at scenery? Who's got time to appreciate it? I had somebody at my house in Harnof. <laughs> in Harnof. And you have this beautiful view of the valley. Beit Zayit village over there. And he's looking over this, and he's looking over this beautiful view and stuff, and he says, 
I bet we can dig this up and put up a whole bunch of track housing. <laughs> it was serious. Look how many one-family houses you can make out of that. Think about though. Go for it. He's out his bed. bed. <laughs> it's a majestic, powerful view of the Jerusalem side. Hey, how much can we make on this? Zoom. My brother went out to eat with his wife. It's a nice restaurant. He asked for a table near the cash register. He likes to see what they're taking in. <laughs> that to him is an enjoyable evening. You know, can we calculate it? <laughs> How do you figure that is, you know? Um, Jackie Mason, in one of his shows, somebody told me he was at one of his shows on Broadway. And after the intermission, they come back in. And this friend of mine, you know, she said that she, was, uh, she went for a drink. And uh, she heard these two Jewish women talking. One of them said, what do you think he makes on this? You know, nice show. Figure out he's got to pay X amount for the hall, you know. Okay, how much is he charging a ticket? All right, but lighting, tax, how much can we go? Wait a minute, what do you think he's making? They come back in for the show after intermission. He says, I hope everybody had a good time. He says, and I'll tell you what happened. The Gentiles all went to have a drink. They went down to talk a little bit, have a smoke. The Jews said, how much do you think he's making? <laughs> Let's figure it out. Oh, he's paying so much for the whole. He's got to be making <laughs> These two women were beside themselves. That's true. Now forget it. My gosh, you're so busy zooming by. Take, stop creating and fill what's inside with the holiness. That's the idea. Another aspect, another important idea, I think, that you have to focus on Shabbos. People don't always know where they're going in life. You know why? Because they haven't got time to think. When they do turn around and think, they suddenly realize, why is my life over here? <laughs> I never planned to go here. Right? You know why? Because you ever see people who get in the car and they say, um, let's go for a drive. So some people say, okay, where are we going? Uh, I don't know, just drive. Right? They drive down the intersection, left or right. I don't just drive. You know, just like, other people have no trouble. They get into a car and they just drive. And they suddenly wake up and say, oh my gosh, where am I? <laughs> I have no idea where I am. How did I get here? Well, that's easy because you decide to drive aimlessly. And the rule is very simple. Yeah? If you have no idea where you're going, any road will take you there. <laughs> you know? No question about it. If you don't know where you're going, you want to get lost? Easiest thing in the world to do. Just drive. Right. You, can do, you can get lost. It's not hard. It's not hard at all. People wake up when they're 40, 50. They call it a midlife crisis. Sometimes people don't wake up till they're 60, till they're 70. And they suddenly say, why am I here? How, how did I get this life? <laughs> Given all the lives to choose, this is not the one I would have chosen. Uh, Monty Python, the uh, English comedy group, you know, they have this guy, he comes to this uh, career plan or whatever it is, so he says, okay, uh, I see that you're an accountant. You've been an accountant. It's fine. He says, um, I don't want to be an accountant. I want to change. I want to excitement. Okay, what do you want to be? A lion tamer. <laughs> he says, excuse me? You know, to go in and fight the lion. <laughs> he says, I don't think you've ever actually seen a lion. You know, he brings this lion. Ah! He says, oh my gosh, you know, it's too scary. He says, right, maybe we'll go slowly. Maybe we'll, we'll try you out at actuary. You know what I mean? We'll lose, move you into maybe a bank clerk. You know, slowly we'll try a few more exciting things in your life, you know. And some people suddenly wake up and say, I don't want to be an accountant. I don't want to do this. Why'd you do that? I don't know. I was in college. I had to pick a career. I, I picked this. You know, they told me I'd make money, you know. And now I got it all. I got the house. I got the, the, the wife and kids. I got the, This is not who I want to be. What do I do now? So some people have a drink, you know. 
Oh, they get drunk or they turn to drugs, you know. It's a good way of forgetting. Or they um, watch TV, which is the next best thing, you know, because you can just turn on the, the boob tube and sit in front of it for like 15 hours, you know, and move into that coma-like trance, uh, you know, to the point where, I mean, Gilligan Island reruns come on and you watch them, you know, I mean, uh, it makes no difference, you know. Yes, you can learn to drive the big rigs. <laughs> sure, tell me what you're doing at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's right. Well, this is what people are doing. At bartending school, we'll teach you to mix drinks. <laughs> oh, i got to look into that, you know. What, what? People just give up their lives. They live these, these they, they, they move to a fantasy existence. You know, that's where they get their satisfaction, make-believe. They realize stink. So why don't you look for happiness in real life? It's too late. Too late. How did you get here? I never had time to think. I was so busy building my life. I never had a chance to figure out where I was going. So you know, we have this built-in thing called Shabbos. And every seven days, we're told to stop. Stop. Think. Take a look where you're going. Figure out if this is where you want to be. It's easier to stop when you've made a mistake if you realize it a week later than it is when you realize it 20 years later. But you need the time to stop and think. But we don't have time to think. We're so busy. Busy, 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 busy doing. We don't know how to live life. If you take out the time to live it, to think it, some built-in time for self-examination, one day a week I'm going to be a person. I'm going to be a human being. I'm going to be the universe. I'm going to, I'm going to fill the box with something and not just keep building so I finally have to figure out why I built this. There's a park in Harnof near the Boston Shore. You have to go to Harnof and you have to see this because this is really great. You know, most of Harnof is mountainous. There's this one road that is basically kind of smooth and there's a park. The park goes like this and it's built up on this giant like ramp. I can't even describe it. Why? What happened? Because they started to build this ramp and they decided they were going to attach it to the next road. And halfway through, they decided they didn't need it. They weren't going to tear down the ramp. That was too much money. They made a park. So now the only level place in the whole neighborhood is they had to build a mountain for the kids to be able to climb up. And they were afraid there weren't enough mountains in the neighborhood. It seems to me you should be able to think of that beforehand. <laughs> you better plan that out before. You see this in Israel, but you can also see it, in, I know, in the New York area. I haven't seen it everywhere in the country. They build a new road, and as soon as they finish building it, they immediately put up cones and start, like, expanding it. They start chipping away the sides, you know. Why did you do that? Well, because it's not wide enough. Then why did you build it that way? I don't know. Forgot to measure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let me imagine a jerk. Then take a look, you know. Who's got time to think? I'm so busy. <laughs> I'm too busy to think. I had a guy, he needed these like six pages, you know, with a particular wide line. So he takes a, he takes a sheet, and measuring it out with a ruler, and he's drawing all the lines of the paper. Takes a second piece of paper, starts drawing them again. He's halfway through the second piece of paper, I come in, I'm watching him, and I say, why don't you just take the first piece and Xerox it? He stops, he looks. He's carefully making the calculations, and he goes, ah, I'm in the middle anyway. And he just goes back. <laughs> All six pages. I, I couldn't even relate to it. But there are people who live their whole lives that way. Because they don't even take out the time to stop and think. 
I'm in the middle already. You know, I'm going to be a dentist. You know how high the suicide rate is of a dentist? It's not a, it's not a great profession to be in. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, has a very high suicide rate. You plan to be a dentist? Yeah, you want to see if you can push them to the edge. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you realize it's not everybody likes their dentists. Have you noticed this? <laughs> they know you hate them because <laughs> they're going to take a drill and stick it into your mouth and drill away. And you keep remembering that scene from the Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. Anyway, <laughs> be that as it may, it's horrible. Um, I always think of that whenever I see my dentist coming at me. But uh, the uh, the concept behind it is that uh, people go off to the dental school and it never occurs to them if they want to spend most of their day inside of somebody's smelly mouth drilling and filling to somebody who hates them. You know? Open wide. <laughs> Clamps. <laughs> Nurse, hold them down. Sedate them. <laughs> hold on a second. Get the drill. <laughs> anyway, but um, it's trying to hurt me. Already. Anyway, <laughs> so why do people do that? Because I don't know. I started in dental school. I'm not gonna stop in the middle. So I kill myself. <laughs> Ten years later, you know, <laughs> who wants to be a dentist? Yeah. What was the other scene? Oh, that little shop of horrors. Just be a dentist. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. People never stop to think. So one day a week, stop. Stop, you know. But I gotta do this, I gotta stop. Not going anywhere. The alternative is to wait till someone's in their sixties and seventies and they suddenly wake up. You know, as soon as you talk to people you realize they're close to death and they, they go to you and they say, Rabbi, you know, I really feel like I wasted my entire life and I never lived my dreams and never accomplished anything. I'm much more sensitive of a person to say, Yeah, look that way. You know. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> I hope you believe in reincarnation. You know, <laughs> that's it. You blew your life. What do you want from me? Too bad. Why didn't you think about this when you were when you were 15, when you were 20, when you were 25? I was busy. Oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> Who's got time to think? Self-evaluation. Come on, I'm busy. I got things to do. You know, I used to have somebody used to learn yeshiva, and he'd come in at night. You know, at night there used to be like a two-hour study time. You know, set aside for you to be able to study stuff. And he'd come in and go to the bookcase and he'd go. So much to learn. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> Who can focus? Who can think? Tragic. Tragic. But there are people, this is how they live their lives and suddenly they wake up. Alright, let me, uh, let me finish up with a, with a uh, personal story. And, um, and, uh, maybe I'll underline this point. Um, I, I didn't come from a, uh, from a observant home. My grandfather was an observant man, but he was like, you know, when the Chavetz Chaim used to talk about uh, Raden, the little town in Poland, he said, you know why all the Jews in Raden keep Shabbos? Because all the Jews in Poland keep Shabbos. But when they go someplace where they, where they won't keep Shabbos, they won't keep Shabbos. So my grandfather came to America, like so many other Jews in that era, you know, the more educated, more dedicated Jews didn't come. But everybody was Orthodox in Europe, so they came here, they were Orthodox, but they didn't really know anything. And the, the main reason people came to America was because it was the golden of Medina. It was the land where the streets are paved with gold. And they came to make a better living, to live a better life. So they came in. They went to Lower East Side. My grandfather went to Brownsville in Brooklyn. And, you know, 
so the Bronx, wherever they went to, to settle in and to try to earn a living and to get things better for their children. It was impossible, almost impossible to get a job if you didn't work Shabbos. Almost impossible. You know, they say, someone told me uh, their grandfather had 17 jobs in 17 weeks. He started work on Sunday, came Friday, he said, not working, they were paying, so you're fired. That's it. He'd go around Sunday, look for another job, come Saturday, fire him again. Bang, bang, over and over again. <coughs> and that's what he had to do. He wanted to keep Shabbos. It was a, it was a very, very hard thing, you know. So uh, there was no there were no civil rights uh, groups then uh, demanding equality for religious freedom. You know, forget it. So people said, all right, so uh, I'll, I'll go to synagogue, then I'll go to shul, or, you know, I'll, I'll go to synagogue, then I'll go to work, or, you know, I'll try to get off every now and then, uh, holidays. Uh, it started to chip away because they didn't know what it was all about. So my grandfather lived in Brownsville, and uh, they sent my father to public school, so he should learn to be an American. There were no Jewish schools, there were no Jewish day schools, you sent, sent them to public school. He'd learn to be an American. My father wants to be an American, and he looked at the Greeners, you know, the the uh, other people you know, came there. My father tells the story, he says, I used to go to the old men in the synagogue and ask them why. And they'd say, because. And I said, that's not good enough. He was right, by the way. Because the old men in the synagogue didn't know the answer. They didn't know any better than anybody else. There was this, uh, this shochet, ritual slaughter, slaughter animals. Uh, for meat. And he came to America, he couldn't get a job. So he decided he'd become a teacher of children. One of these afternoon school teachers. So a rabbi said to him, why, what's the matter? You, 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 you think you can't kill animals, you kill the children? You know, that's the kind of teacher you're going to be. What you know about teaching? But those people became the teachers and everyone said, it makes no sense. Yes, why? There's no answer. So, my father had the traditions, he had the good feelings, you know. He uh, he went to the um, moved out to the suburbs, got married, moved out to the suburbs, started a business, started to do well. I have uh, one brother who's a genius. Now every Jewish kid's a genius. This one brother happens to be a real genius. He um, graduated first in his class in high school. He went to Brandeis on a full scholarship. Graduated first in his class. Um, he went to Harvard for one semester, but. Uh, he was uh, got into a fight with the professors, so he didn't go to his classes, and he graduated with a B. He transferred to Duke, graduated first in his class. to give out seven special awards. He won five of them. Um, he was offered a clerkship in the Supreme Court. Instead, he took a clerkship in the National Tax Court. He got a fellowship in Yale. He's a bright guy. Anyway, so um, when he was in public school in sixth grade, he um, got into a fight with a teacher. I remember if it was about Charlemagne or Constantine. But whatever it was, he disagreed with the teacher and he challenged her to a debate in front of the school. And she, like a fool, accepted. My brother made mincemeat out of her. So they told my parents, listen, you got to send this kid to a private school. My father's from Brownsville. He didn't know anything about a private school. That meant the yeshiva, you know. They found the yeshiva day school, which had opened after World War II. They started to open around the country. And sent him. And at the same time, he sent the other brothers. the three younger brothers. So... I managed to sleep through most of day school, Jewish day school, because they used to, the philosophy was you'll learn Hebrew if you speak Hebrew in class, which is true. If you only speak Hebrew, you'll either learn Hebrew or you'll do the second alternative, which is learn nothing. That's the one I decided to use. And uh, I finished seven years of 
a Jewish private school education, my vocabulary consisted of Cain, Lo, Shachachti Babayit, which I forgot it at home, and Aniwot Selotzeit, I'd like to go to the bathroom. And that got me through seven years of schooling. Um, in eighth grade, I finally had a rabbi who uh, spoke English and was very forthright. His presentation was essentially, this is what the Torah says, and if you don't like it, it's still what the Torah says. And I said, oh yeah, well how about this and how about that? And I started firing questions at him and he had answers. This was very strange. I didn't think there were any answers. And uh, I would listen to his arguments. I wanted to argue very much with him. I'd get home at night and I'd think about it and I'd say, my gosh, this guy makes sense. This is frightening. <laughs> and I desperately didn't want him to make sense for two reasons. One is, of course, because everyone knows that Judaism doesn't make any sense. The same thing is that if he's right, I might have to do things. Hmm. But I, I had some intellectual honesty left in my youth, youth, and so I, um, I said, he's right. And the more I argued, the more I realized he was right. He had the answers. So I slowly started to become from Shabbos. At first it was hard for me because I'm at that age. You know, what's Friday night? Those are the best TV shows, you know. So uh, I started doing Shabbos from the day. <laughs> Not from the night. And uh, I slowly started adding in more and more things. And I found a strange thing happen. As I started to keep Shabbos, my father became somewhat uncomfortable and started challenging me. Well, why do you religious people do this? And why do you religious people... I said, Dad, it's me. <laughs> what do you mean? You, what did I do? Come off a boat from Europe? What do you, you know, you religious people, Dad. <laughs> the same kid I always was. But he wanted answers. Such firing air questions at me. So I was only a kid, but I had to find the answers. I searched all around. I asked people. And I, I was able to find the answers. And I gave them to my father. My father was surprised. I guess somehow I had become the old, the old men in the synagogue and I had the answers. So my father felt that my answers were good and he felt that it was true and it made sense, but what could you do? He was in the flower business. You know, the flower business, Saturday's the big day, you know. I really would like to keep shopping, but he really wanted to. Passover, he'd go away to a religious hotel. Everyone thought that he was, you know, he was, uh, he'd been doing this his whole life. He loved it, he enjoyed it. What could you do? The business, the business. So he, uh, so it went. And he would always tell me, he said, you're going to see one day I'm going to be a Shammah Shabbos. One day I'm going to keep Shabbos because, you know, uh, it's important. 40, 50, 60. 67 years old. I had gone into the States about four years ago. Um, I went into the States. It'll be four years this November. I went to the States for a trip. We spent some time together. And after I left, I got a call. Well, two weeks later, my father had a massive heart attack. Um, they brought him to uh, St. Francis. This is the heart hospital in uh, Long Island. They did an angiogram. And uh, they said 80% of his heart muscle was destroyed. And uh, he was only getting, you know, there was so much blockage, he's only getting 1% blood flow to the heart. So they say after the heart attack, he needs, um, he needs, uh, two weeks to recover before we can do a, a bypass. But he hasn't got two weeks. Sorry. So they called me up to come in for my father's funeral, basically. Might see him before he dies, kind of a thing. So I went in. I was reading the laws of mourning on the plane over because I really wasn't familiar with it. I never had to really face death. And I got there. There was obviously no one to meet me. I rented a car. I ran right down to the hospital. And I found where his room was. I went up. And the cardiologist was standing in front of the room shaking his head. He says, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. All his vital signs started to drop. We rushed him in for surgery. 
and um, and uh, he lived. He shouldn't have, but he did. He recovered. You go talk to him. Why? Wow, what do I need all these bags for? What are the tubes? I, you know, back to his old cell. <laughs> now he really couldn't move around so well after the emergency triple bypass and the heart attack. So he decided, you know, I always wanted to be Shemesh Shabbos. Now I'm going to start doing it. They started keeping it. This was in December. December, January, February, March, April, May. If you're from the United States, you know that the biggest flower day of the year is in May, Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Got to send mom flowers. So he called me up in Israel the Monday beforehand, and he says to me, he says, uh, David, look, you know this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the biggest one of the year. They really need my help. You know, the other boys keep Shabbos. They don't go in. I have to go in. God will understand. I've got a rule. I only answer questions, never statements. <laughs> so when a person tells me, you know, it's okay, God will understand, I say, oh, <laughs> you know, no one asked my opinion. He called me up Thursday before Mother's Day and he says, boy, it must be pretty important to God that I keep the Shabbos. Why is that, Dad? You mean because he wrote the death penalty for it? No, no, no. No, no, no not that. He says, I, um, I applied, uh, you know, he bought the building that his store was in. And when all the businesses left, they got moving costs. So he figures, hey, I'm a business in the building. I also got moving costs. So his lawyer told him he's crazy. He's not going to qualify, etc. He filled out the forms and sent it in. That Thursday, he got a check in the mail for $350,000. He says, eh, it must be pretty important to God that I keep the Shabbos. <laughs> you know, yesterday, we talked about why bad things happen. Sometimes good things happen. <laughs> you can have the same impact. You can give someone a candy. You know, It works, it works much better than a snack. Right? So... So he kept that Shabbos. I think that was a big turning point. And he's kept every Shabbos since for the past three years. I remember afterwards, one time I called my mother. I said, Mom, how's it going? She says, it's like living with the Pope. So it was, uh, says, you know, he sold the house. He bought a house that, I, that my mother hated, but it was a, a block away from the synagogue. So even when it snows, I can go, you know. And, uh, and uh, he goes to the synagogue three times a day. He's always praying. I don't know, every Shabbos. So they have the kids over. My niece came to visit one summer, you know, she says, oh yeah, you know, we, we go over grandma's house for Cholent on Shabbos, and you know, I said, is this the same woman who said that if I left on the oven I would burn down the house, you know, now she's, now she's Bobby cooking in the kitchen there making Cholent, you know, what happened, you know, this wasn't the same woman I grew up with, you know, so I, I said to mom, you know, I said, mom, how's it going though? She says, well, what can I tell you, you know, he, he, you know, he's never been happy in his life, he's never been happy in his life. I said, and you? She says, me? She says, we have a real life. We have our grandchildren come to visit. You know, we have a community. You have, you have a, you know, I've never been happy. And I hung up the phone and I felt terrific. I mean, I was so happy for them. And I also felt like crying. Because it took him until he was 67 to realize something that he already knew. His 20s, his 30s, his 40s, his 50s, his 60s. He kept saying, I really want to be a Shema Shabbos, but... But, but, does, does a person have to wait till the end of their life when you almost die to suddenly realize what's important? Wouldn't it be a great thing if once a week you took off a day, you spent on what's important? It's not a day of rest, to sleep, it's a day of work, to connect, to get a touch of spirituality, to change, to grow, to think where your life is going. Wouldn't it be so nice if people could accomplish it that way instead of the other way? That shop. Shabbos is a day when we have an opportunity to become people again. 
people should really learn how to be able to tap into that power and take advantage of it. You have been listening to Voices from Jerusalem. For a complete listing of our cassettes, see our web store at aish.com. For a free cassette catalog, email us at voices at aish.com or call toll-free in the U.S. 1-800-VOICES-3. Our main office is at 1 Western Wall Plaza, Jerusalem, Israel. Shalom from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.